0: gentlemen welcome 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 it's been a while but we are here it's june and we got an episode for you we're talking about the struggles of entrepreneurship and building a successful business i am your co-host andre keali and i have here the man the myth the legend brother dj hold on we gotta get that dj DJ What's going on
1: <laughs>
0: DJ dividends,
1: How you been feeling, man? It's it's uh this year's going by fast, ain't it?
0: Uh, ah, it's flying like a bird in the sky. You see, I'm working on my sayings, I'm trying to get like you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. Uh we we doing the podcast once a month now and um I uh, actually look forward to, uh, I'll be anticipating getting together this uh, uh, one episode to put put our podcast together, so I'm real happy to be here, man.
0: Likewise, likewise. It's always a good time when you and I can get on the mic and bounce some knowledge off of each other and inspire and enlighten the folks and sometimes learn from the folks. But I think uh, today's topics is going to be a a topic that we're definitely going to dive into and um, shed light on. I know you were sharing with me off mic. um, Right now, it's like a season of a lot of people having an LLC. You know, you you doing people's taxes and whatnot. You got a, a lot of experience with that. So maybe we can start there. Tell me a little bit about what you've been noticing as far as the LLC entrepreneurship environment has been looking.
1: Well, I can tell you this damn much. I ain't doing nobody taxes who got no LLC. Y'all don't call me with that foolishness. (laughs) (laughs) Because I done done turned away over 100 people that showed up with LLCs and they needed to do a 1065 and um, they wanted me to help because they were referred by somebody else. And um, I've turned them away Um, because what I've been seeing, and we've been seeing this here probably since the onset of – uh, COVID-19, Andre, is that um, for whatever reason, there was an avalanche of uh, social media uh, inspiration and motivation for everybody to go out and set up their LLC. Um, we had the whole PPP loan thing that kind of aligned with it. So a lot of people jumped out there for the wrong reasons and set up even LLCs. And then there are a lot of young folks out there that just believe that it's sexy And uh, they romanticize about saying, I got my LLC. Um, But having your LLC doesn't generate a single dollar of revenue. And uh, that's uh, that's the issue that I've had over the last two and a half years. All these people showing up um, because they set up LLCs and they got business cards and they got websites. And they've got on the gram, they've got on Facebook, they've been flossing with their cash, their jewelry. In front of clog- cars, they got the design of clothes, some of them even getting on and off of jets. And um, these people ain't doing nothing at all with flossing, and they're going uh, nowhere real fast. But yet, still, once you get these uh, LLCs set up, there's some administrative things that you're required to do. And uh, even when it's time for you to file your taxes, there's paperwork that goes to it. And these people don't have a clue about what to do. And then uh, when they try to address the issue, um, they want to come to someone like me um, that's a professional that has the credentials to do that, but then they don't want to pay the uh, commensurate costs with what it costs to get your taxes filed as an LLC. So it's been a really, really big mess. I don't necessarily want to focus specifically on LLC today, but just the struggles of entrepreneurship, and building a successful business because like I was saying off mic, uh, for every 10,000 people that say they got an LLC, there's really only one person out there that's successfully running a business under that umbrella of an LLC. Well, what have you been seeing out there, Andre?
0: Well, I can say from uh, my perspective in my industry, uh, I've been seeing a lot of drop-offs as far as entrepreneurs go, people that have had businesses, and then um, a lot of people were, pivoting uh, at least in the filmmaking industry you know there are a lot of freelancing videographers and uh, people with their own uh, video business and a lot of people have gone in the direction of either educating people on what they know so starting starting to implement education into their business model or even totally changing the direction of their business into something else Uh, even expanding Mm -hmm. like I know for myself I've been expanding into content creation and working on uh, my personal brand and whatnot so A lot of people have a lot of downtime and uh, are figuring out ways to stay productive, but also stay productive within the realms of what they do for a living. So a lot of pivoting has been going on. A lot of pivoting, a lot of drop-offs. And uh, I don't know too many people who are really doing it um, as big as as they were last year or the year before, um, unless they're like a very big company uh, that Mm -hmm. houses a bunch of videographers and whatnot.
1: Yeah, now, I I know we both talked about, uh, you know, um, seeing this here overwhelming number and growing population of young folks from the younger generation saying that um, they got the memo and, and now they do not want to waste their entire life building somebody else's dreams and business when they can go out and build their own, and so, that kind of is in alignment with uh, setting up an LLC and starting your own business Mm -hmm. also. But you as someone who's also said that um, I want to work for myself, I don't want to really go work for anyone else. I've seen you over the last five years actually take your startup and go out and execute, and now you're a six-figure business out there. Um, But that's not necessarily – um, the case for most of the people that we see out here that are saying that they are entrepreneur. Um, what what has been your challenges as an entrepreneur out there and getting to the point where you are now and growing your business?
0: Oh, one of the biggest challenges I can say is the ebbs and flows of of business. Um, I would love to sit up here and say that every month is a is a. 10k month or a 5k month or a 15k month or a 30k month but the reality of it is is you know there are months where i've had droughts um where i may have income starting out in the beginning of the year and then you go three or four months with no income and then that fifth month your income is like thirty thousand, so it makes up for the last three months you didn't have income and then the months uh, following that vary as well so uh the biggest Mm. challenge i would say is really just keeping that frame of uh perspective that it's 365 days in a year. Um, And when it comes to generating revenue for your business, you obviously want to, you want to be able to do that through different avenues. Um, But just keeping that focus during the season of, of no income, I guess you can say until you have that steady income coming in every single month, Uh, keep that perspective of, you know, you have more than one month in this year. So if you have a, a, a bad month on paper, it doesn't mean that your business is a failure. Um, it just means that right. that's time that you can dedicate towards working on your systems and processes, uh, working on acquiring and building new relationships to generate more business, or even building out another stream of revenue for your business.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, now, Andre, this is this is the part that i have always. Um, really try to emphasize to other people as I advise them and kind of coach um, and help them along the way. And I just finished talking to a good friend of mine two days ago about this here. Um, So now when we take a look at Instagram, we take a look at um, Facebook and other uh, social media platforms, you can clearly see there are a ton of people out there that are out there saying they're in business. They're out there promoting the idea that they're making anywhere from a few thousand to $50,000 a month. I'm here lately in the last few weeks. I've seen a lot of new entrepreneurs that I've never seen before pop up on social media, talking about how they're making 200,000 a month now doing wholesale real estate deals and things like that. Um, The irony behind all that and what I'm seeing and what I was talking to my partner um, about was I've been on, social media starting with Facebook since uh, September of 2005. And from that point, all the way up to today, um, I have never, ever, ever, ever generated any business from Facebook. Now I know it's a lot of people out there and you've seen, you said how you've seen them switch and not everybody's going towards the education piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see a lot of social media um, 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 posts now, and they're trying to convince you to come over and sign up for that master class, so that they can educate you and teach you how to go make some money out there in a craft. And most of it is about either real estate investing, um, options trading, forex trading, some type of uh, uh, a trade where they make it. They sell you the idea that. If you got a cell phone or a computer and an Internet connection, um, just a few uh, quick pushes of the buttons after you take my master class and your life is going to go um, from being broke and struggling to, you know, having to maintain hundreds of thousands of dollars um, every year of income that's just coming in um, without you even trying. Um, so that, that, that's my really big issue. I, I, I've never seen anyone... Make any money from uh, social media ads other than um, um, targeting the people that don't that the people that know the least amount that are already desperate and they're looking for a way to get extra income and they end up spending the few dollars they do have um, paying for a master class or some type of educational piece um, that somebody's promoting on Facebook. But I've never seen anyone really make money from their actual trading. Uh, what has been your experience in seeing what's going on on uh, social media with um, people selling um, services versus people just selling education to teach you how to make money off of services you provide?
0: Uh, well, I think you actually proved a good point in the beginning of this episode when you mentioned that the younger generation is leaning towards building their own empires. You know, they've, the it is no lie that the internet has a bunch of information out there and, with that comes the territory of people selling courses and showing their lifestyle. So, uh, my experience of it actually started in 2017. And that was the first time I ever decided to invest in, in an online course. Um, mm-hmm. and I would say the name of the game is really just discernment, understanding who's out there just to build a business around convincing people that they're, they have all the answers and, uh, they can help you change your lifestyle and make quick money. You know, that is a business model, believe it or not, where people are just selling the idea until they generate income and sell people on a bunch of nonsense. And then there's also the genuine business model of people actually providing value through the course content. Um, I've known people who have made millions of dollars uh, through selling courses online, uh, using social media to advertise their courses or advertise their services. Um, Actually truth be told i don't know too many people who've successfully advertised their services and have made millions of dollars online but i do know quite a few people at least in the filmmaking realm who've created some form of online course um and you have used like instagram ads google ads uh even some ads Mm -hmm. on tiktok or just creating um content building an audience and they've generated uh quite a lot of money from from that um But yeah, really, discernment is the name of the game. And there's a lot of people out here scheming, selling you the idea that they're entrepreneurs who are making six, seven, shoot, eight figures a month. When in reality, I'd argue that 5% of them are actually really doing that. Um, And 95% of them are really just trying to sell you on that business model of, look at my lifestyle. The proof is in the pictures, not in the pudding. (laughs) So
1: Yeah, sure. So, you, so you're basically saying flossing on social media, showing people um, the highlights with the designer clothes and the jewelry, um, all of the materialistic things. That in itself is a business model that ties back directly to selling uh, learning courses and master classes.
0: Yeah, I would say if, if you're watching an advertisement from somebody and they have to sell you on their lifestyle, chances are they're probably not living that lifestyle. Um, If you're looking at a course and they're selling you on the actual information and knowledge that you're looking to receive, chances are there's value in that course.
1: Gotcha. Okay. I mean, so I mean, I know you and I, we talk about that all the time because we've strategically uh, chosen not to uh, use that type of business model to, to floss and to show you, um, you know, a flamboyant lifestyle and uh, position like we're living like multi-millionaires every day. We just really focus in on the actual value of the content. And um, I feel, uh, you know, surmise to this day that we, we probably have the best financial education and financial literacy and investing um, information online. But we, we, we haven't risen to the top simply because we don't uh, deploy that business model Where we out there flossing and drawing a lot of attention to ourselves, and really kind of impress um, those out there that that, um, desire to get to that level. Um, Carl, how would you say you uh, think we have said over the last few years? We've been out here on the podcast and trying to provide people a legitimate value-added content versus us uh, not really subscribing to uh, the flossy. A flouncy type of a uh, business
0: model. Great. I would describe our pro- progress has been great. I mean, we're two people. We're two individuals who have whole lives. <clears throat> excuse me. Who have whole entire lives outside of uh, creating the information, providing information, and creating this podcast. And since the inception of this podcast, I mean, we've had so many people join our Patreon account, listen to. Um, the podcast on a weekly, daily, well, it started off daily, then it was weekly, then it was monthly. <laughs> so, I mean, we've built a loyal following and we've actually impacted the lives of people. Um, and we're just two people doing this. We're not selling anything. Uh, I've had so many people just reach out to me directly or through my mom. Cause you know, she's telling everybody about the podcast, just saying how, mm-hmm. how valuable the information is and. I mean, even from a personal standpoint of just being able to have these conversations with you. I mean, every time we engage, I'm learning something new or my perspective shifting. I may come in on an episode of the podcast and I might be going through something in my business or just in life. And, you know, we're talking about the topics we're talking about and it sheds light on things and it, it helps me to keep going. It motivates me to keep going. So I would. I'd say our progress has been great. We fared fared very well against the competition, and also too, we're you know I'm, I'm a firm believer in like run your own race. Like,
1: right, the noise on right. the left After- and right of
0: you, it'll it's there. Is it going to be there forever? Probably not. But that's not for me to decide. It's not for us to decide. Um, yeah. we've, we've witnessed it where we've seen people jump on the bandwagon of what's hot and what's trending just to create content. Uh, like you mentioned, we're not in the business model of just creating what's hot and what's now. We're in the business of educating people uh, on the things that are long lasting, the things that are proven, the information financially, at least, that is going to actually help you get to the, to the to the point of having financial freedom and having a peace of mind. Um, you know, you and I, I w- we were talking offline. This is, I don't have to share this, but I'm gonna share it anyway. Like, This year, financially, as far as business goes, has been a lot slower than the years prior for me. But because I've established Mm -hmm. a strong financial foundation, I'm able to still be productive and create my own content and not worry about where's my next check because I have a strong financial foundation. I've been investing my money. I've been putting money in a rainy day account for rainy days. And if the rainy season is here, hey, it's there. Use it. So, exactly. uh,
1: so yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: it's, uh, it's, I, yeah, I, I could just say great. <laughs> like we're, we're, yeah, we're in mean, a really great position.
1: I'm very satisfied with the, uh, uh the, uh, progress we've made. We coming up on, uh, three years here in August. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that financial foundation because, um, in the space that we're in with, uh, financial literacy, financial education, um, investing stuff, I think we are the only gig in town out of the hundreds and hundreds of podcasts out there. We're the only people um in town that have been consistently saying, before you get into the stock market where your money is all at risk, before you go out and venture into real estate, before you try to start your own business, the very first thing you have to do is you have to build that solid foundation up under you, and you have to be on that solid ground, and then you have to build layers to this thing for you to be able to fully get into it and have the confidence to go out and achieve the success that is almost inevitable once you start investing. There's nobody in town talking about that. There's nobody on the platform that has expressed that that and promoted that over and over, but we have. And for our loyal followers, uh, our listeners, um, all my investment clients, all the people that you say um, that you engage, um, they they they've all had that aha moment and said that you know that financial foundation that really is the key. So I'm very I'm very very happy uh, with the success um, we've had. And even though uh, even though there are hundreds and hundreds of people out there with uh, platforms just like this here podcast and other uh, platforms where they uh, promote financial literacy and financial education. I can say that uh, I was one of the very first ones to get into this space. I've been in this space since 1992, and I've been consistent with it. So, um, I, I like you said, I'm running my own race. The two, the two of us, we're running our own race. We're not worried about who's on the left or who's on the right. We just want to be able to beat it, uh, be in this here game for the long term and are uh, coming up on three years. Um, I, I think that speaks volumes of uh, how well we're doing, especially when you take a look at um, where things are going now and how the world has evolved to where social media is convincing everybody that it's uh, easy money out there and all you have to do is point and click and voila, um, you go from uh, zero to a million dollars in two months.
0: Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, I, you know, as you were speaking, I thought of this analogy that would maybe uh shed light and add clarity to like what it means to be financially successful, you know, and in, in, in everything that you do in life. There's fundamentals. Uh, so we all know that there is multiple vehicles of creating wealth, but you got to know how to drive and knowing how to drive requires you to have the foundation, uh, the strong financial foundation. That's like the equivalent of learning how to drive. That's like the requisite to go and get into either the vehicle of entrepreneurship or the vehicle of stock investing or the vehicle of real estate investing or the vehicle of, um, what's the people who invest in businesses? What's that terminology? Well, you're
1: talking about angel investing, angel
0: investing, you know, there's a multitude of vehicles you can get in to drive your way to success. Uh, financially but you got to have that strong foundation financially which is you knowing how to drive any vehicle because <laughs> if one of them vehicle Absolutely. crashes you know then what you gonna do you gotta have that 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 fallback plan that uh safety net and whatnot so
1: yeah that financial foundation is uh is, is really key and i i live by it but i'm i'm very glad that you mentioned that that is the one thing that has helped you sustain um, on your entrepreneur endeavors and growing your business. Now, let, 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 let's let shift uh, here right quick uh, and talk about some of the things that maybe our listeners and audience out there um, might need to hear. Um, now, with me being the old, fat, wise OG, um, I've been around a long time, um, and I'm the one that people tend to call on for advisement, and they, they hire me as a consultant. Um, one of the main things that, I run into, with uh, younger people nowadays, especially with everybody wanting to work for themselves, is they are jumping into markets simply because that's what they want to do. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, how people are very um, blindly jumping out there and getting into um, a business model. Not because they see a need for it or because they have a better mousetrap. They're just jumping out there because that's what they can already do, but they're jumping into a saturated market. And by the time they jump out there, they realize very quickly that um, there are very um, few opportunities to get any market share or generate any money off of it. Um, what are your views on that? Uh, people jumping out there and just starting a business just because, and not necessarily because, they have identified a need for whatever product or service they try kind to of provide.
0: I would say a lot of the reason behind why they do that is just misinformation. Uh, the way business, the way entrepreneurship is presented to the masses, isn't uh, uh, in all cases a realistic point of view. You always see the success stories when it's highlighted or when it's advertised. You never really see the failed businesses that led to that final successful business or you never see the multiple pitfalls the person had before they actually started generating income. You just hear the story of, yeah, I started my business. And a few years later, this is what we're making. Or a few months later, this is what we're making. Um, so, Mm -hmm. So I think the expectation when people get into entrepreneurship is that, oh, yeah, I can make my own schedule. Great. That means I can wake up when I want to go to sleep when I want to, which is true. Uh, but you quickly realize that you're the catalyst of anything in that business moving, whether it's income, whether it's getting more clients, whether it's purchasing things for the business, investing in it, so on and so forth. So uh, that means you're until you expand your team or until you create systems and processes, you're literally the one person that has to wear all those hats. So you're not, Just working two, three hours a day, you're working like 10, 12, sometimes (laughs) the whole day, like (laughs) for weeks at a time. So
1: that made me chuckle, man, because everybody that starts talking about I want to set my own hours and be my own boss. Um, I can't even count the number of times where I've had to tell people, like, yeah, you about to be getting your ass up at 4 (laughs) a.m., you ain't gonna lay back down. you you about to set your own hours, for real. It's going to be 21 hours a day. And you're going to be doing that probably for four or five months before you even see your first dollar. So uh, don't believe the hype. There's a whole lot more that goes to it other than just saying, uh, I got my own business and I'm my own boss now and I can make my own hours. It's going to free of my time. It's literally the opposite.
0: Right. And, and, and to answer your original question, you had asked, like, why do people – uh, get into the markets that they like Versus fulfilling a need uh, I would uh, I would mm-hmm. say for myself My personal experience I was fortunate to have Done something that I actually enjoyed Or pursued something I actually enjoyed That also met a need uh, Which was mm-hmm. video um, Before Before TikTok was popular Before Instagram had reels I dove into video uh, production mm-hmm. and, um, Yeah I mean I was I was fortunate in that regard uh, but I think a lot of the times too, people, people are just fed up with what they do in the day to day. They have like so much of a distaste for the job that they're failing to see that the job that they're working, there are a lot of signals that they're not catching of needs that that job or that industry, uh, could benefit from that they can actually create because they're in that industry. You, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You follow what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, a whole lot of sense, yeah. yeah.
0: Sometimes the writing, absolutely. sometimes the lucrative opportunity is written right on the wall in the place that you can't stand. You just have to get outside of yourself and and acknowledge that. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of times you can definitely see the writing on the walls. You can read the tea leaves. I was speaking more so of uh, you know the million or so people that show up every other week talking about they're getting ready to start their own T-shirt business. So they're going into the business of designing websites. And, you know, they, they always want to throw you the numbers out there, like, oh, it's a $80 billion industry, and if I can just get 3% of it, um, I know it's already saturated, but I'm going to get in and get this little piece right here, and I'll be good. Nice. It just simply doesn't really work that way. And uh, you get into something with a low barrier entry, Um, that's just a a sign of a disaster all the time. And that's that's what I tell people all the time. Uh, When you look at compensation or when you look at how much you're going to earn providing a service or providing labor to somebody else, you really have to look at the barriers to entry Mm -hmm. for that stuff. And and oftentimes use the analogy about teachers. We all on this podcast right now across the country and around the world, we all – agree that teachers should be paid way more, correct? Absolutely. But when you look at the entry to becoming a teacher, um, basically all you have to do is go to college for four years and you can pick whatever subject you want and make your way through college for those four years and get a seat and then wham, bam, now you're a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not trying to diminish the value of the teaching, but I'm just saying how easy it is, to, yeah. How easy it is for you to become a teacher versus how difficult it is for you to become a lawyer, or for you to become a doctor 100%. or an engineer. Or something. There's a whole lot more um, complexity to it, and oftentimes we don't look at that. So I, I, I advise clients all the time: if you can take five hundred dollars and order the press and order a box of T-shirts and then get the designs and get the ink and you can be in business doing t-shirts, don't you think there's 50 million other people out there doing that same exact thing?
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and to that point, I mean, I think that's why being a successful business requires you to think outside of the box. You can still operate (laughs) within an industry that's 80 million, 80 billion, and you get your slice of the pie, but just don't go into that industry doing what the millions of other people are doing, which is making T-shirts. Why don't you make the boxes, the the, the designs for those nice packaging that people ship out? Mm-hmm. Why don't you uh, design specific style of logos? Like, figure out what your niche is that's high in demand, and and solve it, solve that problem that's mm-hmm. high in demand, or or pick a niche, test things out. Like, I'm still yeah, I'm, I'm right. five years into my business, shy, and I'm still testing things out with as far as video goes, because Mm -hmm. I started out so broad. I've been doing short form content. I've been doing documentary style content. I've been doing podcast Mm -hmm. content. I've been doing educational content. Like I'm just throwing things on the wall to figure out first, what do I enjoy? Because I didn't leave a job to go create a job for myself that I absolutely hate. (laughs) So let's start there. And then the second thing is, okay, what do people want? what is in need what is in high demand and then what can i wash rinse and repeat and scale from there and that's with anybody with ever with whatever industry you're in you guys can figure that out and do that like shoot if you want to start a car wash why start a car Mm -hmm. wash when you can get your own power washing uh equipment maybe it's not cars you wash maybe it's gutters you know maybe it's house gutters maybe you go in freaking um what do you call those uh, the the power wash a house or something like that or driveways? Like you, you, you got to really mm-hmm. just think about, like you said, the barriers of entry. What is the cost? What is the time that goes uh-huh. into this? How could this potentially already? be scalable? How many people in my block yeah. are doing this, or in my city or neighborhood are doing
1: this? Right. Who's already doing it? And if you get into the business and start doing it, uh, can you uh, provide a better mousetrap than than that's already out there? Yeah. Because off uh, for entrepreneurs and starting a business, it comes down to how do I go out there and get uh, 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 a book of business, meaning that how do I get my very first client? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's where we go wrong as entrepreneurs uh, trying to start businesses. We oftentimes put the cart before the horse. And so what do, what do I mean by putting the cart before the horse? We, we oftentimes go in, we worry about the logo. We worried about the website. We worried about getting the Facebook page. And we worried about the colors and how our uh, final uh, background going to look on the website and all these different things. And I tell people oftentimes that that doesn't mean anything at all. Um, let, let's take something like if you wanted, to, like you were just talking about, um, you want to wash cars. Instead of you sitting back talking about it's an $80 billion industry and you're going to get 5%, what you really should be focused on is um, do I have the tools and the equipment to go out to get my very first customer? And when I get my very first customer, am I washing his car so good and meet his needs so well that now he's going to give me word of mouth for me to get my second customer? And by the time I get four or five customers, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my all into providing the best service possible to these here five customers for these here first four or five months. And while I'm making a little bit of money out of this here, whatever I can put back in the company, I'm going to first put my infrastructure in place so that when I take on my six to 10th customer, my service is not going to drop off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to sustain and then start to scale up one at a time. And all my customers really need is they need to know when I'm available and they need to know my phone number. Now, when I approach it from that direction, they ain't concerned about how my damn website looks. Right? They're not concerned <laughs> about all those other foolish things that we kind of get Your caught up Your followers on Instagram, they ain't
0: worried about none of that. I don't even have an Instagram yeah. for my company anymore.
1: <laughs> right. Like I said earlier, I, I haven't seen too many people generate any business at all from social media. The business is coming from your ability to provide that service that you've been hired to provide and do it very well, do it on time, and meet the requirements so that the customer is satisfied, and then put yourself in a position so that one customer is willing to come back next week to get that same service. That's what we have to focus on. And a lot of the reason why we sell as entrepreneurs or we struggle so much is we get caught up in the cosmetics of being able to present to everybody else that I got a LLC, I got a business. Check my website out. Look at my business card. I got the logo on the side of my van. You got all of this here stuff, but it doesn't generate any business at all because you haven't gone out there to get proof of concept. You need to be able to secure that first customer and then provide a service to that customer to where that customer is gonna be your best advertisement out there, and that's where we often tell that You put the cart before the horse, and you worry about everything except for generating the customers, retaining the customers, and then putting the infrastructure in place so that you can now add on new customers with the existing customers you already have. Hundred percent. Did I just sound like I went so soapbox? No. You know how to drop
0: that coin? You, you the you, walking scent giver.
1: <laughs> and, and you know when I when I when I talk to people about this stuff, this, uh, this is why I also have a persona of being an asshole because oftentimes when, when when you're trying to help someone else, they also want you to deliver the message and the information in a nice package with a pretty bow on it. And oftentimes when if you have to have tough skin, you have to face the reality of what's going on. You know, just like we talked about earlier, uh, you're trying to get into this business and you don't even understand the business model. And the the best analogy um, or example I can provide on this is the music industry, Andre. I mean, even to this day, time and time and time and time again, these artists jump out here and they hot, they blow up uh, from zero to four seconds overnight. They go on tour. The tour just made forty billion million, but yet still, they're not happy with their record deal, and they only saw uh, $50,000 out of it. They don't even understand the business model they had, and it's very important for you to understand your business model. You need to know what the startup costs are. Are you the one absorbing those startup costs, or is the person that you just signed with putting all that upfront money in there? What are my real reoccurring fixed operational costs? When I'm on tour, I want limousines and I want, uh, you know, the hotel room on the high rise. I want all white furniture. I only want green skittles in the bowl. I want all this foolish foolish stuff. Do you know all of that stuff is getting counted against you? And so we simply don't understand the business model. We just kind of look at, oh, well, this is what this person made. And if I could just make this here amount, or if I drop an album and I sell a million copies, then that's going to be $20 million, blah, 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 blah. That ain't how that works because out of that $20 million, you might see $10,000. So understanding the business model um, is very key also to you being successful as an entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur and business owner. Uh, So Andre, can you talk a little bit without disclosing too much um, how your business model works for what you do?
0: Yeah, I can actually dive into – how do I want to approach this? Um, because you know I did mention that I've been, I've been working on my personal brand, so I'm debating on if I should dive into that business model or if I should dive into, uh, my actual production business. I'll dive into the production; it's longer lasting. Been in it for five years, so
1: the business. Hey, before model, you before you do it deep, yeah. Andre, can you talk about just your startup cost alone? I know that equipment that you need, the cameras. And all that stuff, the lighting, um, the, uh, the cases to get to where you need to go, um, you know, even the transportation, mm-hmm. include startup costs, and it's your business model that you're talking about also.
0: Okay. So we'll start with the startup costs. Uh, initially, I started my business as a video production company. Very recently, mm-hmm. I'm shifting into a video production or a studio, a creative studio. Uh, and just to give you a high level overview of the reason why is because um, a lot of the creations that I'm working on, the independent projects, the passion projects are going to be housed under this creative studio. So I essentially want it to be where my business funds the passion projects that are under the umbrella of my business, because everything's going to be video related or associated with video in some way, shape or form. So an example would be mm-hmm. like. A podcast educational content um, a youtube page things of that nature so that will all be housed under this creative studio uh in terms of startup costs so when i started my business before i had an llc before i had a dba i had a gmail account and i had my personal phone number and mm-hmm. i did have an instagram page just because i didn't have a website and because i'm Because the type of work I was doing was digital I needed to have a place to house uh, Some short clips that I could show people
1: So Mm -hmm. you can start off with a
0: website You can start off with an Instagram You can start off with your phone And just showing people the the work Uh, The startup Mm -hmm. cost that I had The very first investment I made into my business Was a laptop and a camera That was 2017 And I think I spent about two grand at the time I didn't know anything about the specifications of laptops and editing software. So my laptop that I bought, although it was new, did not have the capacity to run the software at its highest performing, performing abilities. Uh, The camera I had, I didn't know anything about cameras. It was a point and shoot camera. So it didn't have the I didn't have the knowledge at the time on how to use the camera to be to be transparent. And then I also didn't know. Um the the camera didn't have the abilities that the camera I have today has, just to put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh but first year of running my business as a sole proprietor before I even had an LLC, I was running as a sole proprietor. I did that for two years. And the overhead the mm-hmm. first year was about five thousand dollars. I'm sorry, the first year was about twelve hundred bucks, twelve hundred to two thousand dollars. And what that entails is like uh, project management software, insurance, um, what else? Mm -hmm. Any sort of fees, like accounting fees for like QuickBooks, things of that nature. Fast forward to today, I would say the overhead to run my business is about anywhere between eight to 10 grand, depending on what I'm using. This covers like having access to a library of royalty for you, music for videos, having access to a library Mm -hmm. of, uh, free B-roll footage, drone shots, you know, filler shots to tell stories, um, my accounting software, my project management software, uh, insurance for all of my equipment. Um, gosh, I mean, the list goes on. There's so many things that I forget that I have to pay for until I get charged for it. I'm like, oh, I'm glad I have that on auto, auto pay. <laughs> but I mean, that that annual cost can go down. Absolutely, it can. Um, but I also factor into that cost of buying some form of equipment. Um, mm-hmm. so if I want to buy a new lens or a new camera, I can, or if I need to replace something, I can, um, now diving into the original business model. Now, this is something that I've actually been honestly to be full transparent working on every single year. Um, and this is the year where i finally figured it out and the primary reason was because i got into doing what i'm doing because i wanted to honestly just be a content creator before content creating was like popular like i wanted to i was creating vlogs on youtube but vlogs didn't pay the bills so i had to figure out how to use my skills to pay the bills um and through that process i've just been um throwing things at the wall seeing what sticks you know uh Find it, figuring out what I liked. I was doing wedding videos for a while. Um, the business model for that was word of mouth. <laughs> there was no uh, running ads or anything. It was literal just referrals. And then it got to the point where I wasn't too interested in doing weddings anymore. So I drew back on uh, on the amount of weddings that I did a year to the point where I just don't do any. Um, and mm-hmm. then also, I was doing short form video ads. Uh, My initial business model for that, just to generate some form of people interested in my services, was I did a free giveaway. I said, hey, this is my value that I'm offering. They were very, very great videos, some way better than others, some not so good. But I needed a portfolio of work to showcase my stuff. So I did that. um, And then from that, you know, it was free. It was a lot of sweat equity that went into building this portfolio and delivering a product of quality to my clients. And some clients gave me some money. Some didn't. Some actually came back and paid me and wanted to do more videos. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that generated uh, clientele, I guess you can say for better better or worse. Um, and then fast forward to, I would say, over the last two years, uh, the business model that I started to do was a retainer business model. So I created systems and processes, packages and pricing for certain offerings that I offer mm-hmm. video wise. And then there's also retainer based packages that I offer video wise. Fortunately for me, through the network of people that I have uh, one opportunity led to another. So like I, a friend of a friend would reach out and be like, Hey, are you looking for video? Uh, I'm looking for video. Do you offer X, Y, and Z? And I'd hop on the call, have my system in process to figure out what their needs are. Um, I didn't, although I have, uh, although I have packages, I don't just say, yeah, you fit under this. I ask questions so I can diagnose what they're asking. So I take like that doctor's Mm -hmm. approach of like diagnosing the symptoms versus just prescribing you something, whether I know it's good for you or not. Uh, so that led me to creating a retainer based model, which was customizable. And you, I basically set, say, okay, this is the amount of videos they need. This is Our profit margins, this is the Three packages that I offer This one is for this Amount of money, this one's for this amount of money And this one's for this amount of money And you know, for lack of better words We'll just call it bronze, silver, gold Gold is just like The bells and whistles, bronze is like The bare minimum Silver is like Mm -hmm. What you probably need essentially And I make sure I hit my profit Margins on all of those to make sure I'm actually Profiting money and not just putting in these hours and working more than I'm actually getting paid. Um, so that business model has been very great. Um, up until last year, I would say was the first time I experienced working with a client and I won't mention the client, uh, great people, just, uh, the organization was very unorganized and although it was a lucrative opportunity, uh, I was, I left just feeling just depleted and frustrated because I didn't feel as though I was put in the position to win and I didn't have the help that I needed within their organization to win. Um, So the use of my services just kind of fell flat, even though they paid me. So this year I was like, you know Mm -hmm. what? The business model's changing. And I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent, so I'm hoping I'm touching all the points of your question as I'm on this tangent, but I'm wrapping up.
1: because, (laughs) Because right here you're saying, although you were paid from a financial standpoint, it panned out for you and you ended up still with a profit. But when it comes to sweat equity and just enjoyability of it and being able to deliver um, something that you feel satisfied with, the cost exceeded the benefit of what you got out of it, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So here we Mm -hmm. are today where I'm, I've now pivoted and shifted my business model to become an umbrella for the many projects that are going to generate revenue and income. Mm-hmm. So each of those will have yeah. their own form of business model. So if I, so when I do educational content, you know that business model will have its own independent business model. Um, me doing my personal content that I create on YouTube, mm-hmm. that'll have its own business model, um, and some of these things will generate income, like the YouTube thing. I hate to say business model because it's really just an outlet for me to create. And the more you create on YouTube and you add value, you're eventually going to get adsense because you have the followers and the views. So obviously there's going to be money there. I don't want to like narrow home the point of like, you have to have a business model for everything you do creatively. Cause that's not how I approach YouTube, but like educational content it of course is going to have a business model. Um, and then I still have the services that I offer. I still have the retainer-based model. I still have the products and packages that I offer as a, as a me exchanging my time for a service. So the goal for me now is to create passive streams of revenue for my business under this new umbrella of Creative Studio. So that's a, yeah, that's a peek into the behind yeah. the curtain and of what I've got, what i been working on, what I've got going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, you know that The takeaway here, Andre, is is that what I want the listeners out there to understand is is that going into it, you have to have some strong fit of how much it's going to cost for you to deliver this this service, and you have to set your price point to a point where when you provide the service and the revenue comes in, the revenue is going to exceed the expense that it takes for you to deliver that service so that there's a profit left over and now once you have that profit left over, that's going to help you come up out of the hole because you're starting off in the hole with all the startup costs
0: 100%. on day
1: one. So it's two months, it may be two years, it may be five years before you get your head back above wild water. But you really have to understand your cost model because if you get out there in any type of business and you haven't priced everything right, you haven't done your research and know what it really, really costs, to run that type of business, and to uh, deliver the service that you're uh, out there selling, um, then you're going to end up upside down, and then there is no success out of it when you don't have um, uh, more money coming in than going out. And I I see a lot of new business owners that simply don't get the business model down right, or they don't go out and they don't pre-plan well enough or they don't find the right uh, distributors and manufacturers to get the pot prices that they need to keep their expenses down, so that the revenue coming in is going to exceed what what they're spending out. So that 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 that's the key takeaway. What I want people to understand about understanding and knowing what your business model uh, is and making sure those numbers work.
0: Absolutely. Again,
1: and I, yeah, and I'll tell you, like from my perspective, uh, you know, uh, just like over at Iron Step Construction and Engineering, Andre, that was a two hundred eighty thousand dollars startup. Mm-hmm. It took me, it took us four years to to get back to ground zero before we started seeing a single dollar. Yeah, um, my, my my center out in Phoenix, a uh, three sixty five breakthrough that cost uh seventy six thousand dollars. To get up and running and secure the businesses and put everything in place. Um, also, uh, we, you know, uh, SkyGirl CEO she, Sheena she McCurdy, we recently got into a partnership out here where we're doing non emergency transport services now. And we have uh, uh, eight vehicles out there and we have the staff for them and uh, we're out there providing this service. Um, but just the gas alone it's, it's tearing our ass up. And we got <laughs> We're trying to figure out what what can we do or where can we go to get a bulk uh, uh, advance agreement on this fuel because paying for the fuel at the pump is just not working for us right now. We're mm-hmm. we just spinning up. Our- and then also um, with the non-emergency transport, you know, um, for the last uh, year and a half, I've been trying to um, also add on the uh, premium car service uh, with the customized uh, Sprinter van and that's going to take me $140,000 plus whatever insurance that they're going to charge me for these commercial vehicles. And so I'm expecting that's going to cost me another $14,000. But um, I have all those expenses to put out up front. So when we start talking about the business model, I have to really make sure on these uh, uh, businesses that I have up and running that the amount of revenue and my projected uh, book of business out there is going to come back and make up for my money back and then eventually get me to a point where we're profitable. But you see, a lot of people with new businesses they fail within the first uh, uh, two to five years because they don't have the uh, business model um, down to where they really need to be to be successful. 100%. Now, um, another really, really quick, did- I, there's
0: a point that I want to touch on. That I wanna, or there's something okay. I want to highlight to the audience that you you mentioned that I mentioned, and you know, you hear me say on this podcast a lot that self-awareness is key for new entrepreneurs who are getting their feet wet and are considering starting a business or considering getting their feet wet. And for people who are transitioning and are investing in companies, I think the, the biggest thing that you can uh, you can do to help yourself is know where you're starting at. Are you starting at being a freelancer? Are you starting at just hustling? Uh, hustling your way into creating this business I don't mean hustling illegally I mean hustling as a freelancer meaning you're exchanging your time you're a one-man show you're wanting to build this company but you have to literally work every wear every hat until you can afford to hire someone or like in your case I like you mentioned like Iron Step you guys have the infrastructure uh, with, with putting people in place and you have the investment money up front you didn't have to wear every single hat. Now you may have had to wear a a couple hats, but you didn't have to wear every single hat. Um, So it's, it's important to understand, like make sense of where you're at in your journey with your business. Are you freelancer trying to turn it into a legitimate business? Are you a legitimate business owner and operator? Are you a legitimate business owner who's investing in people to operate the business for you? Because when you do that, you could, Figure it, it. helps you to add. It helps you to figure out. Okay, what is the business model I want? Because it's there are people who are business owner, operator, one man show, making eighty thousand a month as graphic designers, right. like out here, independent creative mm-hmm. agency, one man show, and they're doing it because they have their systems and processes in place. Where there are other people who are making eighty thousand a month and they have full teams. So it's really mm-hmm. just a matter of it takes time. I don't, I don't truly believe that there's a such thing as an overnight success in anything, but more specifically in business, because let's say you start a business tomorrow. Let's say you're working in the construction industry and you decide to start your own construction company and you've been in the construction industry operating as a project manager for 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. You starting your own construction company isn't and it, and it, and it generating revenue in the first year, generating a profit in the first year, that isn't an overnight success. Like you, you have twenty years of lived experience working in this realm, and then you go start a business, versus someone who just go like if I go start a freaking construction company tomorrow, and if it just so happens to be profitable, it's because I've had at least a year and a half working in the construction industry, prior to me mm-hmm. doing what I'm doing now. So. Yeah. it's not. A, let, let me, there's no such thing as overnight success. And just know where you're at with, with your business. Those are the key takeaways that I wanted to nail home.
1: And let me piggyback off of what you're saying and use that construction business um, as an example. Also, uh, Andre, you also have to not only have your business model down pat and have your projections in place to where you see where you're going to break even and then get into the area of profit, but you also have to uh, fully understand your back office needs too because, like you just said, you can be um, the project manager for a construction company for 20 years and then you look around and say, you know what, I can jump out here and start my own um, construction company. But the minute you jump out there and now you're the owner of a construction company, now you can't really be the project manager because if you are the owner of a construction company, Now, you got to go out there and get new projects. So, you're out there trying to build a new office building. You're out there trying to build a whole subdivision. While the project management is going on and the actual guys on the ground that are doing the work and everything, you got to have your ass over there at City Hall talking to the city manager. You got to be down over at the other side of the building making sure the permits are in place. You got to be at all the functions over here wearing a suit and tie, shaking hands and kissing babies and eating potato salad, doing business to make sure that you have a book of business out there. Um, that's one of the things that um, I went into higher uh, step, really understanding that um, we need um, damn near $300,000 be, because not only do we have our, need all our the equipment, we need all the tools, we need all the supplies. I need at least eight people that make $137 an hour while them out there doing the work, I got to be over here at the utility company, I got to be at the water company, and then I got to go over here to these private projects also, and I got to go over there and uh, pitch, you know, why we should get this here uh, contract. I got to go to the football game where I got to go play golf um, so that I can close the deal. So when you start talking about owning something, um, you go up to a whole nother level, and you really have to understand, um, everything that goes on while um, the, the, the company is out there generating revenue by providing a service. And uh, this is one of the things that um, I know you have learned just working with me over the years as you've grown your business. Mm-hmm. You, have to have a, you have to have all the systems and processes in place. You need the software. Um, some projects you can't take on because you don't have enough labor force. When you're doing it yourself, you can show up and do the job and make sure it's going to be a good quality product. But when the contract is so big that you need five other people in addition to you being there, do you have that labor force ready? Do you have a bookkeeping and accounting system in place? Who's back at the office answering the telephone for other people inquiring? Who do you have to go out and negotiate the next contract you're supposed to start a week down the uh, road? Who's filing all the quarterly taxes? who's getting everything organized for the uh, audit company that's going to come in and put everything together for you to file all the other administrative things to do. So there's a whole lot of things that come with a lot of these businesses. Most businesses have to have some type of back office. And that's why I was joking uh, a little early on in the podcast about, um, you know, these uh, entrepreneurs that come up and say they want to be their own boss and create their own hours. I'm like, you are got to be working 21 hours a day, and that's only if the uh, type of job, uh, the type of a business you have will allow you to still be the hands-on that actually perform the product or service. But also now you got to, at nighttime, you got to keep the books. you got to return phone calls. you got to respond to emails. you got to get up and be down at City Hall and submit the applications. All those things you can't do most businesses as a one-man show. So there's a whole lot. Um, that goes to it. And a lot of people get into, um, this entrepreneurship, um, or they trying to start a business and they really don't understand, um, all the components and the complexities of running that type of business. Um, how, how, how uh, smoothly and seamless have you been able to grow your business as opposed to being frustrated with all of your back office needs, Andre? Hmm.
0: Being frustrated with my back office needs. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Okay. okay. Uh, what about the emails? Uh, people are inquiring about, hey, I'm interested in uh, uh, bringing you in to do such and such, such and such. Um, are you able to answer that uh, email on the fly while you're out actually shooting a video? Um, are you able to wait to Saturday, and Sunday to get back to or is Saturday, and Sunday when you actually out on the ground doing everything when you need to bring on more professionals to work with you because the job you're doing it requires five people instead of just you, and now you have four of them. Who's the one that's going to haggle back and forth with those other independent contracts to negotiate how much you're going to pay for them? Um, Who's going to lay out the scope of what they're supposed to do um, in conjunction with the overall project? So just the whole overall background, who's asking the cell phone um, between 9 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. while you're actually out over somewhere else trying to negotiate a contract and you pitching to someone else. Who? How, how frustrating was that when you were just a one-man show doing all that stuff?
0: Well, to be transparent, I'm still the one-man show doing all that stuff. But what has changed is I put systems and processes in place. So technically, I'm the one man with the help of technology. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what I mean by that is when I first started out, you know i'm i'm not someone who's had a long-lived career in the corporate realm so my uh what is the word that i'm looking for my corporate acumen or my polished my polished like how i communicate my professionalism is there but in terms of how i communicate i talk like i talk I'm not in the email talking about, yeah, they over there be doing like, I don't talk like that. I just, I just keep like, I'm, I'm to the point. Like I've, I'm, I'm not someone who overreads emails and I'm not someone who adds a bunch of fluff to emails So that was the, that was a challenge for me within itself learning how to convey my level of excitement or to communicate in a, way that's received well by people who are in environments where they overread emails or they read into emails and things like that you follow what I'm saying um yeah. so not only that like I've always been someone who follow up but I'm very straight to the point like hey just following up on this any updates versus <laughs> versus hey, how are you i hope all is well i know we spoke last week uh just to recap or just to catch up, how are things going with X, Y, and Z? I'm here if you have any questions. Like, that within itself was more of a challenge for me than anything else. And to this day, it's still like, literally last night, I'm thankful for ChatGBT because I've been using that a lot more. But literally last night, I read an email to my wife. And, you know, she's corporate. She That's her environment. She thrives off of that. And I was like, look, I need to hire, like, I need an assistant just to respond to emails, not because they're a lot, but just because, I'm not that type of person who's like, who has that profession that I don't even want to call it professional because I'm professional. It's just more so the way you communicate. Like, I'm not that person who communicates like that in email. So she was jokingly like, you should hire me. (laughs) But um, to to answer your question about was that?
1: I said that's a part of the back office, your staffing also, because you have to have the right people in place to ask for phone calls, to maybe uh, deal with uh, responses to email. I know, like uh, me and Skygirl, we spend about $2,400 a month mm-hmm. just in bringing independent admin support to uh, complete applications for us, to respond to this here, to get this here done, to run over at City Hall and, and get this on file, to go get this documentation. And go by the bank and pick this up so I can sign and do all of this, this stuff. So having the right people with the right skill sets in place also, that's definitely a part of your back office needs, especially as you start to scale and grow your business.
0: Yeah, 100%. Unfortunately, like the, the project management software I use, you can automate responses. So if someone sends me an inquiry, it's already on the inquiry that, hey, it will get back to you within 24 hours. So if I'm not at my desk, I have an automated email that goes out, um, and it basically funnels them down the process of getting the information I need from them before we hop on a call. I'm very personable mm-hmm. when it comes to talking to someone in person or over the phone or on zoom, I actually prefer those sort of interactions. Um, so once we get to that part, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, I've even started incorporating like instead, cause you know, people are busy and people tend to not make meetings for whatever reason. That's like one of the most annoying things. Um, you would think, corporate professionals are prompting on time with their meetings or are good at communicating, and getting back to you, but sometimes they're the worst people. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so what I've started doing is sending out video proposals where I literally record myself going through the proposal, saying hi, introducing myself and um, sending that to them. And that has been super helpful as well, um, just because it saves time. And all I have to do then mm-hmm. is just follow up and say, hey, did you have any questions on the proposal? Or are you ready to get started? Obviously I add a little more fluff in there, but uh
1: know,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean and you that,
1: have to deal with that too when they don't agree with your price. And yeah. They and, won't and, add with
0: price. and that's not the problem I have, which is good. In the beginning I did, but it took a lot of bump in my head, being frustrated working with certain people to come to the point of knowing what my prices should be and are. Um, but again, I think that comes with experience. Um, so to answer your question succinctly, I would say it's been a process, uh, with good days and bad days. Do I have everything figured out? No. Do I have most things figured out? Yes. Um, but it's still a work in progress and it's, it's frustrating, but I think even, even if I had somebody working for me doing the emails, like there would still be something else that I would probably be Annoyed with having to do Like when it comes to managing Mm -hmm. that individual So I don't think that I don't think it's like the frustration Stops I think it's more so you just Figure out ways to navigate it And deal with it or Resolve it quicker
1: (laughs) Okay I understand that now what what would you Say uh, from a Scalability standpoint and for Our listeners out there who uh, Doesn't quite understand what Scalability is that means growing your business. So, um, Andre, you said you're still a one-man show. Yeah. You've definitely grown revenue over the last few years. Um, but when it comes to scalability, are you in a position to where now you want to scale up and say maybe um, I need to add two more employees because now my book of business has tripled? Or are you still in that little sweet spot area where you're saying, um, Everything that I have good now, the number of clientele I have, the amount of work I get every year, and I can kind of keep my hands around everything and keep the quality of everything where I wanted to be as my brand. Or, or like I said, are you in a position now where you want to scale up because now you can see yourself growing the business to a million-dollar business instead of hundreds of thousands of dollars?
0: So that's a great question. And this ties into the business model question. Uh, One of the things that I failed to mention earlier in that question was I do a similar business model to like most most general contractors in construction where you hire you're the general contractor you meet and you interface with the client. Everything that you provide and perform and and everything you deliver to the client has your name on it, but you subcontract other people who specialize in specific trades so for the type Mm -hmm. of work that i do i don't foresee me necessarily ever hiring employees maybe an admin part-time maybe a few video editors part-time um Mm -hmm. but in terms of like people going out to film or people doing other things essential to the whatever the project is i would honestly just subcontract it subcontract them in and factor in their rates for the budget that i present to the client um As far as scalability goes, I'm in a phase now where instead of worrying about acquiring numerous clients, I would like my goal right now is to acquire one good client, nurture that client, build a relationship with that client, make sure all their needs are met and have an ongoing relationship with that client and then grow from there because I don't want to spread myself too thin. I don't want to manage anybody. I don't have any desires to manage anybody. Um, and my ultimate goal again, isn't to necessarily create this like video production empire. It's literally just to enjoy the work that I'm doing, provide the service, but also, uh, pursue my passion projects, which are going to be, excuse me, which are also going to be profitable. Like that's the main goal for my business model is the passion projects and creating profitable passion projects. The service, the service is just the thing I have to do. So if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with a client that I enjoy, that they enjoy the work that we provide, and that are happy and you know built that relationship. So,
1: and I and I think we kind of both on the same page uh, um, because um, I've had opportunities to really scale up and get big and bigger, um, but at the same time, I don't want it to turn into. Um, a conglomerate where now um, I'm so far removed from the actual product and service and the brand itself um, that I don't even know what's going on. Or I don't even know the people that are working for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you know, it, there is an art and a science of scalability and, and how big you want to grow. Um, that's going to vary from person to person. Um, but um, I can only imagine that, you um, uh, you know, from a lot of entrepreneurs that start with like small businesses, um, kind of like the example we used earlier, a car washing detail where you get a van and you go to the customer and wash the cars um, at their point of need, and they don't necessarily come to a car wash to you. I would imagine um, an individual like that they would want to go from one van to maybe five vans to ten vans, and eventually get it to where they have a staff working from the cars. That's the actual hard labor work. Getting not been doing that type of stuff, so I, I really wanted to touch on um, um, scalability and how it works, and whether or not it's suitable for entrepreneurs. Because oftentimes you can get burnt out if you just stay a one man show and you're putting in a lot of labor, and it turns into um, a job instead of a passion and a labor um, for you, um, to where you want to go in there for probably put people in place. Um, that 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 that. That's always been like a great area for me as well. Um, and, and like one area that I'm struggling with now, um, Andre, uh, like my business partner uh, over at uh, uh, Honeybee um, Transportation, is that um, I, uh, she, uh, my partner, she went out and found someone to kind of be the uh, business liaison and she deals directly with the individuals. We have contracts sort to provide the transportation. Um, but she brought this individual in thinking that this individual was going to not only um, be that liaison and work on the things and get everything done and get compensated for a salary. Our business partner thought that this was going to be a person that was also going to be the visionary and then she was going to be um, venturing out into other things and looking at other streams of revenue for us and setting the company up to be able to scale and provide even more services. And, uh, you know, we ended up having to bump heads with that individual because that individual is saying that you all haven't offered me any equity and ownership into your company. Why in the hell would I be out here trying to build everything up? Y'all gave me a job description. This is what I do. Y'all told me this is my salary. This is how many hours um, I'm working. I'm just here to get a paycheck. I'm not here to help build this company and scale it up. So with all that being said, how do you feel about individuals that you may contract as an independent contractor or individuals that have advised you or you just bumped, um ideas off their head? Um, how do you feel about people that are there for you in that type of manner, but then ultimately they expect to get some type of ownership in your business? Are you willing to give up uh, ownership of your business for someone helping you like that, or are you more so inclined to say, "Hey, I need some advisement, or I need some help or some support"? And in exchange for that, this is what I'm going to pay you. And then after that's said and done, you gone about your business. How do you feel about that? Um, what I
0: would say is, excuse me, hold on one second. I hate to clear my throat on
1: the uh, mic. Uh, yeah, so in the background. ain't nobody gonna get none of this on the ship.
0: And <laughs> hey man, Scrappy over there enjoying his nap. He is living the life. <laughs> <laughs> but to answer your question, I would say from personal experience, like I have a good buddy of mine that I work with. I started my business wanting to work with everybody I know who had a camera and displayed interest in video but I quickly realized not everybody's suitable for that responsibility. Uh, you know, everybody Mm -hmm. has different levels of conducting business, different levels of discipline and different levels of responsibility, uh, with how they treat the craft, uh, and their professionalism. And I quickly learned that that opportunity isn't something that should just be given to any and everybody. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, I would say lead with building relationships and rapport with people Um, because my buddy and I, I mean, we have our own independent businesses. He hires me for uh, job opportunities when he needs a second shooter and I hire him when I need a second shooter. I refer him business. He refers me business. Uh, We hang out outside of us working in the business. And when we hang out, we're always talking about ideas and we never look at it as like yo, you owe me money for giving you that insightful idea or like, yo, uh, I'm going to stop giving you advice on your business because you haven't given me any equity. Um, Granted, we're both still in like the first five years of our business. He's pivoted, I've pivoted. Uh, But I would say I don't, I wouldn't mind giving him equity if it makes sense. But there's also that understanding of like me giving you advisement or him giving me advisement on something related to the business uh, would be different than him doing like the sweat equity or me doing the sweat equity in the business. You follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there's no time yeah. exchange for advice. If we're already, if that's how our relationship has already been established where we have that open dialogue about business because we're both entrepreneurs and it'd be like I have a barber buddy of mine and he's got his own barber business and we hold each other accountable. We we meet. What biweekly, monthly sometimes, and we bounce ideas off of each other and we're giving each other advice. But I think it's important to have like minded individuals who are working on something, whether it's similar to yours or different, where you guys can meet and bounce ideas off of each other and advise each other. Um, even you and I, Shy. I mean, before we hopped on this call, we were talking about our business endeavors and there's been plenty of times where I come to you and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? What, what advice mm-hmm. would you give me? And never, not one time have you ever been like, well, I want to stop giving you advice till you give me equity. And I think that comes with establishing like the sort of relationship you have with the individual you're talking to. Um, it does get tricky when you hire somebody like as an employee, because employees, at least in today's day and age, I was one of them. You're looking to just get a paycheck, do your job, not be bothered, not work any hours outside of the hours you're allotted and go home. You could honestly like care less about the business. You'll take pride in your work. But if you don't like the job, you are really not going to care about the business. So I could understand that perspective of like, y'all hired me for this job. I'm doing my job and that's it if you want me to do anything outside of that, give me some equity. You know, it's people trying to leverage people, trying to leverage the opportunity there. Those are the people I would probably personally veer away from giving any sort of equity to, because if this is how they're acting on that level, I could only imagine once they got equity, how they act like they already don't take pride in going the extra mile. Like the employees I'd give equity to are the ones that are like, and I hate to say it cause it doesn't breed a good work. Life balance culture, but those who are like fully invested into the mission and fully invested into their job, building rapport, like doing the work, putting in work. So that's mm-hmm. that's my long spill on it.
1: Yeah, I've, I've uh, Andre, I've uh, had this experience too many times that I would like to even think about. I know over at Iron uh, Step, we went through three different uh, uh, CFOs. Um, they had to come in and put numbers together and deal with the uh, utility companies and um, um, do financial capability statements and all that, that stuff. Three different C- uh, CFOs, uh, they were CPA credentialed. Um, they all basically said, hey, uh, before I go any further, we need to sit down and talk about me uh, getting some equity in the company because what you compensate me for um, is not really covering, you know, all the goodwill and uh, um, expertise that I'm providing to you. Um, I've, I've had that uh, same conversation uh, with at least two senior journey linemen that uh, were going to be able to uh, bridge some relationships with some other uh, contractors that were going to bring us in more books of business. Um, but before they went forward, uh, they wanted to know about what kind of equity they were going to get in the uh company uh, uh, same thing over with a uh, 365 breakthrough um even uh over with a uh, honeybee you know you have you, you're trying to get up and running and you're just starting and everybody's wearing multiple hats and you're scrambling around and you know from an ownership standpoint you really want somebody that's going to really come in and give a hundred percent towards the mission and help you out and maybe go above and beyond mm-hmm. but um uh, with the pieces uh, with today's uh, generation of workers and young folks, they're saying, hey, I'm doing the bare minimum. I'm, I'm only going to do what I'm being paid for. And if I do anything extra, we need to sit down and talk about what percentage of the company am I going to hold on to. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that plays a big role nowadays. And I want um, our listeners out there to take that into consideration as an entrepreneur uh, with your business. Um, if you're out there and you're working with someone, whether they're an employee, a contractor, or someone just on the side giving you advice on that because they have knowledge of expertise in that area, um, you can um, start to expect that if they're really helping you and then they see the business growing and being successful, they're going to start um, want to have that conversation about um, what piece of ownership am I going to get out of this deal because you're in part successful because of me helping you out.
0: Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree. And and again, my stance on it, I'm coming from not having that experience of having to provide any equity. Because I mean, truth be told, it when my business gets to the heights that I see it getting to, if you were to be like still giving me advice on things, I shoot, I'd pay you for your time. <laughs> so I mean, it it just really yeah. just depends on the relationship and rapport you you build with people. I would say, but to your point, yeah, that is definitely something for those entrepreneurs who are at that level to consider um, that's something that they should give some thought to for sure.
1: Yeah, it definitely gets the, the, the higher you go and the more money there is at stake. It gets nasty and ugly. And uh, you already know, but uh, our listeners probably don't know. I'm currently um, in a lawsuit right now uh, with uh, the other folks. Iron um, they can, you know, people can just Google, my name nowadays and they can click on and see all the details they want to but uh yeah uh putting in that sweat equity uh putting in money and trying to help a business get up and running it's it's a whole lot more that goes on behind the scenes and uh um it gets uh, convoluted very quickly but um today we, we really wanted to talk about you know entrepreneurship and uh you know uh trying to build a successful business because that seems to be where, um, our economy is going That's where our new generation of our young workers are going. Everybody wants to build their own empire. Nobody wants to come in and punch a clock and build up somebody else's dream and empire. So we wanted to have this this conversation to cover, um, these various uh, perspectives and angles that we did today. Um, you got anything else to say,
0: Andre? No, I think we, uh, I think this was a very, very good episode. Um, uh, I ended up sharing a lot more than I thought I I would. So I definitely hope the listeners, uh, receive some form of value from the input that I provided. I know you already got value out the yin and the yang. So, <laughs> um, you know, I definitely appreciate everybody for listening and allowing us to be transparent. You know, I, these conversations are, these conversations are good to have. Like if you're an entrepreneur out there, if you're a business owner out there and you're just getting started, or you've been at it for a year, a few years and you're just like, you don't feel like you have a community to communicate these things with. um, I would highly encourage you to, to find someone in that, you know, that's doing what you're doing at a high level and at a low level and at a medium level and talk to them. Like don't view, don't view the people in your niche or your industry as competitors view them as like team teammates like you'd be surprised how many people in who are running their own business like my my wife she's in the events space so like there's people she's run into and she always has an open heart and is easy going and she realizes like dang there's some people who are just nasty like that don't want to build a rapport from you or that are always like trying to just use you. And then there's people who are just like, no, like, yeah, let's collaborate. Oh, that's so great that you're doing this. I love it. And you know, it's, it's, it's a relationship Absolutely. that you build. It's a community that you build and you'll realize that although you guys um, to the general public have th- these businesses that appear to be competing um, you can actually work together. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And then like you said, uh, Andre, we have a passion for having this here podcast, and we really want to get out here and uh, share these here nuggets and gems, because we are two real-life entrepreneurs. We both have businesses, and uh, we want to share you a peek behind the curtain, rather than just be someone out there posting pictures of us with the kind of cars we uh, drive and the houses we live in, and uh, how we travel around and live the highlights. That's not we are that's not a part of our brand we really want to give the people added value information to help them along that
0: journey 100% 100% well shoot DJ dividends you got any book recommendations for the folks out there
1: oh yes yeah, man this is a good book um, I stumbled across this hip book three weeks ago and I jumped out there and grabbed it was a pretty good book this book is uh the name of it is my money journey and it's written by uh, Jonathan Clements And this book is a a book that has a compilation of about 30 real life uh, stories of triumphs, struggles, and failures of how people find their way through financial freedom by being employees, entrepreneurs, um, corporate execs, uh, whatever have you. But it it just talks about um, the various uh, different ways that people um, make their journey through life to get to their financial freedom. It's a very um, good inspirational book um, I highly recommend it again That's My Money Journey by uh, Jonathan
0: Clintus Yeah I'm going to have to listen to that one I like that I like that one a lot Well we appreciate Y'all for rocking with us we know the episodes Are once a month so thank you For still staying tuned If you want to be notified when the next episode Drops all you got to do is turn on your post Notifications um, on Apple Music and, and uh, Spotify Um, On Apple Podcast not Apple Music If you want any more information about Stock tips More direct information from Shine as far as the financial industry goes Go ahead and join our Patreon It's uh, patreon.com Forward slash I got sense podcast Or you can just go to patreon.com And search Mm -hmm. I got sense podcast Got any Anything anything else for
1: the folks before we dip out No, that's we have all the information out here for the folks, but we are uh, serious people that's out here trying to educate the public about financial literacy, about investing, getting into real estate, starting your businesses, and uh, we have value-added information over here, so uh, if y'all want the real deal, this is a great source for y'all to come to uh I got sense.com, or you can go down and get a podcast and um, read my weekly uh, post about investing and stuff. Um, that's about it, Andre. And uh, we hope that this a market turn around and uh, blow back up to where it was um, at the end of 2022. So we all can reach in and get some money.
0: Sound like a plan to me. <laughs> well, folks, we'll see y'all in the next episode. Till next time.
1: Peace. Peace out.